And welcome back to our annual Fall FS Ag Roundtable. We are at the Patent Block on the third floor with our panel of discussion today. This is our number two. Our coverage is brought to you by Growmark FS, Midwest Bank, Big River Resources, Elliott Brothers Seed Company, Monmouth College, OSF, Warren Henderson Farm Bureau, Compere Financial, Hertz Ag Management, Patent Block Grill and Brew Pub, and the AUG Miller Agency. Let's jump right back in. This time we're going to start with uh, a short discussion on carbon capture sequestration uh, pipelines that are starting to take place. Who would like to start with this topic? Wendell, age before beauty. <laughs> Kids older. <laughs> uh, it, it's a hot topic. Uh, I talked to David Zimmerman from uh, Big River all the other night at a thing. And he just says it's just just something you really need to do. Your value, the price you can get for your ethanol, is based largely, at least partially, on your carbon score. The lower you can get your carbon score, the more competitive you are in the marketplace. And boy, that that's our goal is to get this get that carbon score down. The problem we you have with all this, and it's a hot top, and I'm not very well up to speed on this, but I know in both Iowa and Illinois, uh, when you try and build these pipelines through farmers' fields, there's a lot of them that don't want it. And fair enough. Uh, the big argument, number one, is is eminent domain going to be used? Uh, so far, I think what I understand is the industry is trying like crazy not to, to, to go there. But at the same time, they really want to get this done because it's evidently going to be a really economic benefit to them. Uh, the flip side is, is I've heard that some <clears throat> to convince some farmers to let them through that they've offered some really high bluff, you know, just offers to to get the right to go through. My personal reaction is I've got a pipe, an or a nitrogen or natural gas pipeline, not much further away from my house than you. Uh, <clears throat> we've got another water pipeline that goes through another farm. There's never been a bit of trouble with, with either one of them. So I'm, my gut reaction is sort of, what's the big deal? If they do a good job, uh, it shouldn't be a problem. Does the farmer get credit for the pipeline if it goes through their field? Uh, or their that. property, I should say? I doubt that. They might, I don't know. The carbon credit, it would be, I think, and I... I'm speculating here a little bit. I, I do have a few farms that I manage that are in the proposed path of this this Wolf, so-called you know the Wolf carbon uh, pipeline that's in the works right now. Um, I have not been presented with any actual proposed agreements. I don't know if if there are others in in the state that have. Uh, my understanding is I think it will be very similar to what we've seen with the wind energy and the solar energy things. It's going to be a, you know, a, a payment for easement and, and you know, basically a right to, to, to go through, and it would be an annual payment. It's, it's, they won't be getting the carbon credit as such, um, but, but there will be a, a payment for long-term easement and, and use of the land. Okay. So right now there's 27 direct air capture technologies that extract the carbon dioxide, 130 that are planned uh, for facilities. Dan, how does this affect financial data or a business spreadsheet once these carbon credits are in place, or do we even know that yet? 
Well, I think there's a lot of things we don't know yet. Um, that question may be a little deeper than I could answer. But I think to, to Wendell's point, I, I mean, I think that's where regulation, that's where the government is taking us, basically. That's where the consumer is taking us um, from that perspective, too. Uh, um, these aviation fuels and, and, you know, ethanol markets uh, are wanting uh, the product from plants that have, you know, a very small or you know, zero position from the carbon standpoint. So, I mean, that's, that's what it's all coming down to, again, is trying to uh, go back and, and service the, the consumer, if you will, from that perspective. So, and as far as your, your question on, you know, carbon credits for the pipeline, I, not everybody would fall into this category, but, you know, the credit would come back in if you participate in these and you're close enough to an ethanol plant that is, that is capturing this, you're, you're going to see premiums uh, for your corn from that perspective to go into those premium ethanol markets. Okay, so outside of ethanol, um, I, I don't know, Ken or Brian, who will keep track of this for the farmer? Let's say it's Tyler's farm and he needs to capture so much carbon for a certain score. Who's going to keep track of that? Is there a company or? There, there's a lot of third third party companies out there that are, you know, this is their business or part of their business model is to try and um, collect a lot of these carbon credits and then go to the market. You know, they're trying to pull together a large amount of credits so they can go to these bigger corporations. Um, uh, a lot of these bigger corporations have initiatives to try and lessen their carbon score and, you know, it's, that's what their shareholders are wanting, and that's what you know is gives them good PR and all those kind of things. So um, I don't know much about it, but that's you know that's kind of the local farmer is probably going to need to work with a, a third party to to kind of pull those credits together. And I know there's a company you work with, Brendan, at West Central FS. Yeah, Indigo, and uh, they've. Uh, <clears throat> They're, as you say, pulling pulling things together and going with the farmer that uh, you got to start doing things different. I mean, and it's all been said. Um, you know, you start with some cover crops and reduce tillage, and and then next year it's one more thing, and then it's one more thing, and then it's one more thing um, every year to go into it. There's ways to get in, ways to get out. I mean, if there, there's issues. Um, currently, I have no growers that were interested in this. Uh, a couple of my counterparts to the east who have uh, – a lot of cover crops in our area have quite a few acres signed up. and But these were people who were already committed to the cover crops. And I think in last spring's discussion or last fall's discussion, cover crops are not cheap. And to get this down right for getting, and I'm throwing this out there because I haven't been following it much lately. I, you know, Troy, you might help me. Is it $7 an acre, sometimes credit, carbon credits, five? Oh, I, I mean, there are programs that, that are reaching up into the $25 an acre range, uh, maybe even 30, but it, you know, still when you take a look at the cost of establishing a cover crop, it approaches around 40 bucks an acre. Right. And, and so you're still, even if you're getting 30 bucks an acre from your carbon credit agreement, you know, you're still, you, you got to find some other way to make the, you know, that make up that $10 loss. Uh, and, you know, what, what I have found, I, I actually just signed, I just signed up a new farm for for management that I'll be taking on shortly, and and the the owners of that farm want to be uh, they they want to adapt cover crops, they want to adapt some some reduced tillage practices, uh, and they are it's really a philosophical thing for them. They they understand that they'll be taking on a little additional risk. They understand that they will probably be sacrificing some profitability, um, but. From a sustainability standpoint, 
from a philosophical standpoint, that's what they want to do. And, and so there are, there's a lot of that in the marketplace, uh, you know, that's, that, that's participating in some of these programs. My counterpart is doing it um, quite a bit. It's on a selective group that on their acreage, they're currently doing the cover crops because of HEL ground and some, you know, tougher conditions of what they're farming. So they're already doing it to save their land the way it was. And this is just an additional way to try to make up for some of the costs of the, of the uh, cover crops. Okay. Uh, and, you know, there's so much information about it. I don't know how it affects livestock farmers with manure management. Um, cows have been a, a – cattle, rather, have been a topic of discussion as this legislation um, continues to get looked at. Uh, who's going to put it in place? Who's going to monitor it? Who's going to regulate it, right? All the, all the questions out there. Like Wendell said, he, 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 you want somebody to do the marketing for you in a way, and it's going to be the same way with carbon credits. Uh, and the ESG scores, Ken, we're hearing more about that new acronym as well. Yeah, I guess I'm not uh, up too much on the ESG scores, but, you know, the thing I see uh, with these carbon credits is right now, you know, we're, you know, the farmer's making some money. We're offsetting somebody who's not really doing anything to control their CO2 output. They're, uh, they're you know, hoping the farmer does, and, and there's no proof right now that what we're doing is a perfect offset. You know, we're helping with the cover crops and the, uh, the different tillage practices and things like that. We're, we're helping to do stuff on our side, but, you know, the people that are buying these carbon credits or, or, or you know, paying for it are, aren't doing as much on their side to help offset that, too. Meaning they continue to produce the same amount yeah. but purchase from someone yeah. else to show their carbon scores and it, subtract this it from makes, that. It makes them look good that they're buying these carbon credits uh, from the farmers, but they're not really doing anything else to control their output. So that's happening, Troy, whether it's solar or wind, we're seeing more of that type of uh, investment or opportunity, if you want to call it that, to be a solar farmer? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and we get in our office, again, as a farm management company, you know, um, I, I mean, it's daily. Every single day, we're getting solicitations in the mail from from energy companies all over the place. And and what they're doing right now, a lot of them is, it, it's really a and I this, this this sounds negative. I don't really mean this as a negative connotation necessarily, but it's it's kind of a fishing expedition. They're just casting out a line every direction that they possibly can, uh, trying to see where they can secure blocks of, of land that would, you know, would have interested landowners that they can sort of consolidate and come up with agreements to put, whether it's wind turbines or solar panels. Right now, solar panels is kind of the big, uh, kind of kind of the next big uh, thing. You know, there's a lot of wind farms that have been established, and those are still happening, but, but the solar thing is really starting to kind of blow up. Yeah, and, you're seeing uh, it all over the nation. Yeah. I, and it can be very effective in, in land that is not always usable. Um, you know, certain types of soil, certain types of locations, Wendell, uh, where uh, solar panels could be useful. My frustration, I mean, we've got the one right here on the edge of town, and that's some of the best land in the country, and it's coming out of production. And as Troy says, uh, you know, they're, they're out there. I've got, got a letter or two, you know, got a, got a farm just on down the line. What, don't you want to talk to us? No, I don't want to talk to you. Uh, I'm a farmer, and I want to use that land and keep it better, and I don't, what they're doing out here, I don't think 
doing anything, they can, they can land any better. I'd hate to be the guy that gets it back after, after they're done. I'm, I'm told it'll be good, so I hope it is. It, it uh, is, you know, the, the solar... The, the, the solar panels, those tend to, I mean, they need to be on fairly flat ground with good, you know, south-facing exposure. It's, it can't be in hilly, poor timber yeah. ground. I mean, it, it in general, they are looking at fairly highly productive ground well, to be putting you know, these solar arrays on. I want to counter that. The best one I've ever seen that made sense to me was somewhere out probably in Utah or, or Wyoming where it, the nice, long, gradual slope, and it was nothing but brush under there. Cows would probably starve on it, and more power to them. That's where they ought to be putting this stuff, not not on flat black. No. Yep. So you're saying like the desert? Well, good source of heat. Never know. Well, it, it's poor quality land. Uh, there are other people worrying about the loss of, of prime farmland now, and the, the numbers just due to normal expansion, more housing industry and stuff taking land out of production, at a time of growing populations and growing demand for, for food, we're lowering our production base. So you need to take that into, into account, too. So this is a little bit, uh, I don't know how many people have heard of this. There's a, you know, the, all of these things have their own issues that come with them, right? And and I found this one fascinating. There's a, out in Arizona somewhere, I don't remember exactly where, there's a large solar collection facility, but it's, it's an, a, lar- a huge array of mirrors that are, are focusing the sunlight onto a large solar collecting tower. And uh, what, what, what has happened is all of those mirrors directing, focusing all of that sunlight, uh, the, the air temperature at, at a low level above those mirrors is so high that birds flying through that area actually spontaneously burst into flames. <laughs> and they call them streamers. They, they leave a trail of smoke as they, as they go down to the ground. So... You're not pulling our leg. There are no. I'm not pulling your leg. You can you can look it up. You know. So these things all. You know. We we talk about environmental benefits. These things all have their own. Uh, you know, environmental scales to right. to, to weigh against. Uh, I'm just surprised uh, there's not a options. bird activist group going. Hey, <laughs> there's streamers going on in, in Arizona. Uh, they are. Well, they were upset about the wind towers killing birds. True. True. And bats. Livestock. Anything to add on carbon uh, sequestration or pipelines? Anything that affects you from the livestock perspective? No, I'll just say that um, National Pork Board is working on helping pork producers develop um, sustainability reports, just showing the impacts of pig farming on the environment. So we, you know, do have that as one of our top priorities and our focuses. Okay, uh, Dwayne, anything from you? I know that colleges are just like farms; they're coming after. I shouldn't say coming after, but starting to require you guys do more, too, for carbon capture on campus. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the bottom line is ESG is not going away. It's it, it's here to stay, and every organization is going to have to be cognizant of that and re- realize what the implications are for them. Um, colleges, I can say, from the energy side, I mean, they're very interested in spending less on energy. I mean, mom of the college spends more than a million dollars a year on, on energy, and that's a significant chunk of change for a small college. And so I think anything that can be done to reduce the cost. Um, I know that solar is something people want to experiment with, but it's still pretty expensive, and as, as wind is as well. I mean, if, but on the other hand, I also know that they're not developing a lot of uh, plants anymore or refining facilities because 
there's you have to have like I think a 40 year span or uh, lifespan on a refining facility for it to be profitable. There's no real faith that there won't be serious regulation or government rules that will prevent you from operating a, a facility like that for 40 years. And remind people that ESG is not like a preservative you put on food. What exactly is ESG? In, in environment, uh, uh, social causes, and governance as and, well. Yep. Okay. Uh, Kim McMillan, transition us into the farm bill. You've had your fair share of farm bills to talk about over the years. And uh, uh, it's an odd year. That's what Rod Weinzerl from Illinois uh, Corn has said about uh, the, the, the actual year. Was it 83 or 85 was a, another odd year for the farm bill? I was sitting here just thinking about that. Forty years ago, uh, when I ran for Congress, one of the reasons I wanted to be in Congress was to be on the House Ag Committee. The issues were pretty few and pretty simple back then. And if you look at all the stuff we have talked about around this table this morning and, and think about a farm bill that's up, legislators that need to understand these, these issues. I mean, we have five people from Illinois on the House Ag Committee. Uh, one of them raises cattle. I don't think the rest of them hardly, uh, they need to be part of the, the adopted legislator program for the most part. Uh, and you add to that the overall uh, politics about cutting uh, appropriations and all of the people that just pretty much almost are, filled with uh, anarchy in terms of wanting to shut government down if they don't get what they want, uh, I, I think the challenge ahead is to get a solid farm bill, to get uh, reinforcements for crop insurance, to get the, the most vital parts of what USDA does uh, to continue, it is going to be a big challenge. Fortunately, there's probably a better bipartisan outlook for the farm bill and for agriculture than nearly any other issue in Washington D.C. Uh, because because they're over the over the years uh, it'd be a big battle, but then the Republicans and the Democrats could get get together because of the commodity groups and the and farm organizations and so forth who could apply enough pressure to say, this we have to do if American agriculture is going to remain strong. So I didn't really answer your question about what is ahead, but, but it is a big challenge. And part of it is to get the decision makers to have some idea of, of, of one-tenth of the wisdom that's expressed around, around the state. And one of the reasons it may take longer is the amount of acts that have been introduced that they would like to include. It's already the 2018 bill was $428 billion, which of course includes the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, but um, the animal wel welfare due to Prop 12 has been introduced, uh, which would e somehow eliminate some of these challenges. Also installing renewable uh, energy systems is in the top 10 of, of acts being considered. Um, expand access for fresh fruits and vegetables. Uh, for the SNAP 
uh, program. They actually want to monitor what is being bought with the, the, the SNAP benefit um, uh, by families in the U.S. They want to track those SNAP purchases to see if fruits and veggies are being uh, provided. Um, they want to prevent states from regulating animal welfare. That's an act that's been introduced. Uh, Grassley has a big one in there, the Farm Program Integrity Act, which is a cap of the $250,000 uh, single farm, I think, which applies more to our, our marketing guys. And there's some state-level stuff in Illinois as well. Uh, increased land acres for young farmers. That's another act that's been introduced. They want a part of this farm bill. Make the USDA lending more equitable. Couldn't find a lot of details on what equity meant. Um, so that one must be in an infant stage, or the article I had didn't have enough about it. Help small farmers access crop insurance. Apparently, according to this act, crop insurance can be fairly expensive uh, for a new, brand new farmer. Not really sure. It's not really sure what that's about. Um, this is what the top ten were. Um, they also want to upgrade manure management. There's organic farm research and the net cash farm income meant to give relief to farmers who have $400,000 or less income. That's a lot of stuff they're looking at adding to a farm bill. These are just the top 10 under consideration coming up here in September and October, which is why they were saying this farm bill may not get off the ground this year. Any thoughts on all of that? Well, plus, farmers are the first ones to say we, we need less government. Uh, and from experience, I will say, whether it's in Springfield or whether it's in Washington, an awful lot of people are going to introduce legislation that they know doesn't have a snowball's chance of getting anywhere so they can go back to their constituency and say, see what I tried to do. So, I mean, it's daunting to look at all that stuff that you mentioned. Most of it probably won't see the light of day, but what's, what's really scary is some of it might, and it may be the wrong, the wrong part. And I do remember the crop insurance was because some states had experienced such challenges with the derechos, hurricanes, fires, things like that, that they, in certain states insurance levels were going up, the premiums were going up, or not being retained at all, depending on where they, they were located. So that's what that crop insurance information was. Either way, Dan, how does this affect your farmers? Um, I, I think it's the confusion of all the add-ons and new programs and, and whatnot as much as anything. And I, I, I think I would, if you don't kind of fail to mention some of these programs have been highly beneficial from a financial standpoint the last, you know, five years, I would say as well, um, you know, somewhat questionable money that was maybe given out um, under certain circumstances here in the Midwest in particular. On um, so, I, so I think you you know, you have to weigh that as well, that maybe some of these programs just aren't needed from that perspective. Going back to your equitable thing, I think that's probably a diversity inclusion type of thing with gender and race and, and whatnot there as well. So, you know, sometimes I just, I think we all scratch our heads uh, on some of these programs they put out there and and, um, and question why we would be eligible for them, to be honest with you, too. Sure. Well, we'll keep our eye on it. We'll talk a little bit more about it. Um, tomorrow, just want to give you guys a heads up on what was being considered, why, why it was taking so long, uh, or why they, they expect to have a lot more discussion. Um, let's talk real quick about food labeling, um, meat consumer perception. Certainly, I can start to my right with Tyler Swish about that. Certainly, a big topic of conversation with the Illinois Beef uh, Association. Yeah, I think as we, we think about cool, um, you know, 
fact of where um, people just need to know where their their meat is coming from, right? I mean, here here in the United States, uh, we have the best management practices, uh, probably in the world, uh, the best nutrition uh, from a um, packing plant to all of that. Um, I, I think that's a big one, just to make sure that our beef, our product here, uh, is seen as a premium product and a, a better product for bang for your buck. Who uh, who gets most or imports most of our beef outside of the U.S.? I'm not 100 percent sure on okay. that. Okay, because it, it is very very good. Yeah. I've had meat in other countries. I'm sure many of you have too. And you're like, whoa! I really miss my American hamburger or steak when you're in some, you know, the Dominican Republic or you name it. You can tell the difference, I guess, is my point. Lana and Jill, how about from you guys? What are you working on with uh, consumer perception regarding the food labeling and lab-grown meat? Yeah, so, um, you know, National Pork Board and our state associations all have worked, you know, close together on the 100% real pork marketing campaign because when you look at a label for pork, it's pork. Um, in the last few years, we've had some different trials done with local grocers with ground pork um, being put in the meat case um, and replacing some of those um, artificial meat or other protein options um, that the grocers were finding that were, they were expiring on the shelves and they were losing that dollar capture. So um, with the help of National Pork Board, we got them to remove those from those, you know, um, front-facing cases and move that to the freezer section and replace that space with pork products. And then it showed that a significant increase in the amount of ground pork distributed because of that action. And then the grocer captured more um, value on the pork end, and then it also did not lose that in the um, other fake meat end. Sure. So, um, but no, I guess I would just say, you know, just continuing to, uh, to promote real pork products. Okay. Lynn, anything you want to add with that? No, not really. Jill hit the nail on the head of that. with that. We were just joking, when you buy pork, you get pork, you know, and that is something that we're really proud of, no matter what the cut is. Okay. Ken, anything to add to that? Ken from Midwest Bank? Well, I think, you know, the, the food labeling and, you know, we've seen uh, the lab-grown stuff, the uh, the fake meats, and, and there's a place out there for that. Like we, we talked earlier about organic food and stuff like that. There's a place for it. Um, there's people that want it. Uh, personally, I'm not one. I'm not going to try any of that stuff. But, uh, you know, we need to make sure the the end user knows what they're getting in the grocery store um, because I think a lot of them, you know, and we go back and talk about that little city up in the corner of the state, don't understand where some of this stuff comes from, and they just go to the store and uh, just, you know, that's where, we, that's where food comes from. It comes from the grocery store. Um, so we need to make sure that um, we label stuff properly and don't, um, you know, I think a lot of times they try to uh, put some wording on the labels of their products to make it sound uh, close to real uh, and, you know, make sure the consumer understands what they're actually buying in the store. There's some terms you see like manufactured meat on the back of a pizza, frozen yeah. pizza because of how the labeling has, has shifted. Yes, Wendell? I thought I heard that, that, that they'd thrown in the towel on the, on the artificial meat, that, that they, 
they couldn't it wasn't economically successful and they'd given up on it uh, there's definitely been articles showing that there that it has not taken off the way they expected I don't know about giving up on it because there's still a significant number of companies investing in it but okay. definitely what Jill was saying earlier I saw numerous articles last night about almost like I saw about EVs and the they're not taking off as fast as, as those investing in them had hoped. Were you going to say something, Joe? No, I, I disagree with that. I think that, um, you know, when you look at concerns of the industry, you were looking a little lighter at the fake meat and more at the, you know, protein replacement or alternative protein. Um, but I don't think that you're ever going to see it go away. Uh, do we have any scientific studies on manufactured meat at all? Have they done any studies on... I don't know if they've done any studies, but I think it's it's pretty clear when you look at lab-grown meat, you just look at the ingredients, whether it's beef or pork or chicken, whatever they're trying to make, and it has 20 to 40 ingredients, and then, I mean, beef is beef, pork is pork, chicken is chicken. It's pretty self-explanatory what you're buying. Exactly, Tyler. And what's interesting is it's, it's some of the environmental groups crack me up because they're the same ones who are anti-GMO. But they got no problem drinking GMO wine and eating manufactured meat. So, Dwayne? No, I, I, I'm with Tyler. I like to eat chicken. It's chicken and pork. It's pork and steak. It's steak and things that are manufactured. I think that's great if you're on a spaceship traveling to Mars and you need food that way. But right. I don't aim to go to Mars anytime soon. And, <laughs> I'll just let the astronauts eat that sort of stuff. What kids want on campus? As you see each generation of, of kids coming on campus, you know, we... we it, you know, are they still... I mean, Mama's students are very Midwestern. I mean, they, they like Midwestern food. Because I, I talk quite a bit to the Airmark folks who run the dining services, and I say, what are the most popular foods? And it's, it's what sells at Fairway. It's what sells at County Market. It's what sells at Save-A-Lot. I mean, that, that's what the students want. They eat a little bit healthier, a little bit more health conscious, I think, at times of the year. But, I mean, they pretty much reflect this community and this region as well. And so when they do steak night, that's a usually popular night. I mean, they have students lined up for that. I mean, there's they don't have to recruit students to come eat steak. Steak night? Yeah. Occasionally yep. do it like once or twice a year as a as a surprise or a gift or something like that. I was going to say, when I you went know, there, goodness. It's, it's, it's like once or twice a year, but, I mean, you don't have to recruit them to come eat steak. I mean, they're lined up at the door to eat that. Yes, Lynn? Well, and, you know, like Jill talked earlier about our farms, so many of our farmers reporting sustainability reports. That's a buzzword everywhere, right? Yeah. I mean, that's a hot topic for everyone. What is sustainable? And what you're also noticing with food trends is people moving away from things that have a lot of ingredients. So people want something that's five ingredients or less. And so when you have these fake meats that are in production and they turn it over and they do look at the ingredients on the back and they can't pronounce half of them and they don't know what they are, I think that immediately they start wondering, is this actually good for me in the long run? Where, yes. you know, it is probably not. And you know, Lana, what, that is so true. Um, meat that, that I had bought 10 years ago from the same company, I looked at that the other day, and I, I saw it had grown in the number of the section of ingredients, and it had manufactured meat, and it had no idea, just started, because I'd heard about that food labeling thing, that that had changed, um, and so that, that really was 
disheartening because it wasn't before. It was chicken, beef. Yes, there were some some preservatives, I'm sure, to keep it on the shelf long or in the refrigerated case long enough. But seeing those words on the back of it, because I read everything in a grocery store. I'm the, the person everybody's like, move, quit, move. But no, I wouldn't want to read them. All right, we're getting ready to, to close it out. Uh, the final topic, I'm going to leave that up to each of you as um, you say your final word, which is the next generation of Illinois farmers just talking about what, what we're looking at down the road here, what we want, what we want to see. We've got, uh, you know, farmers all throughout the, the room and on the air. What does that look like? And, Brendan, I'll give you the final um, uh, talk here as we wrap up. So Dan Bowman with Archer Daniels Midland. He has been a longtime uh, member of our panel. It's really great to see you. Glad that you're here. Good luck with your customers. And final words from you on um, next generation of Illinois farmers and farm safety. Sure. Thanks for the invite again, Vanessa. I, I think the biggest thing, you know, as we move forward, and it's, I think Lana said it a couple different times about telling our story, you know, and I think we leave here saying that several times in the past as well, but, you know, to go to the sustainability side of it, uh, you know, that's a lot of information sharing too, and, you know, you can look at that as, you know, giving up information or telling your story there too. So, and that's not going to be for everybody, but uh, these new initiatives and programs, you're going, going to have to maybe open up a little bit and, 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 show that we are, in fact, sustainable uh, stewards of the land and, and such from a production standpoint. You know, as far as the challenges, I mean, they're not going to go away. You know, markets are going to be different every year. Um, you know, just discussing outside of this uh, just a minute ago, too, I mean, from a from a marketing standpoint, production standpoint, it's still going to go back to you got to know your break-evens and you got to know, um, you know what your crop looks like throughout the growing season. So don't be afraid to dig in and get to get to the numbers and, and watch your crop throughout the summertime. Okay, crop merchandiser uh, Dan Bowman with ADM. Tyler Slish with us from Slish uh, Cattle as well as our Tri-County Cattlemen. And I uh, appreciate you being here today. hope you enjoyed this. Yeah, absolutely did. Thanks for the invite. Um, I guess I'll leave it as a young person in the room, next generation. Um, I think it all comes down to balance. Um, from you have to understand what's going on, on in the outside world, uh, what's going on locally, uh, and, and the balance also becomes most of us have uh, full-time jobs, young kids at home, uh, try to be active in your community. Uh, you got to find a way to balance that and continue to grow to get towards your end goals, uh, and, and there's going to be steps forward, steps back, and uh, just uh, try to get involved and stay active, and you'll learn a lot. Thank you for being here, Tyler. We really appreciate it. Lana Shovlin with us as well, Communications Director with the Illinois Pork Producers Association. I hope the drive was worth it. It was. I had a really great time. I always learn a lot in these discussions. What are your parting words? Um, I would just say that, um, you know, as far as, like, getting farmers to come back and into pig farms, it's just um, making sure that we're always being innovative with what we do um, to tap into that buzzword again. Sustainability is so important to the next generation that's coming into farming, so showing that we are good stewards of the land and that what we're doing is um, something that we're passionate about and not just something that, you know, we that we continue on just because it's what is expected of us. So showing that um, we do care about the animals and we enjoy what we do and um, we want those kids to come back and be pig farmers. So um, we want to show all the opportunities that we have available to them. Isn't that the truth, Lana? For all the young people that, that want to be environmentalists and no better way than to be a farmer uh, in, in a lot of ways. All right, thank you so much for being here.
Troy Kazire with us as well, manager with Hertz Farm Management. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Vanessa. appreciate the opportunity. What are your parting words about the next generation of Illinois farmers and uh, any farm safety you want to remind folks of? Well, yeah. So, so first off, let me let me correct myself. The the uh, the birds bursting into flames is at a solar uh, facility in Mojave Desert in California. It's not Arizona. So, if there's any Arizona natives out there listening, I don't don't want to mad mad at me. Um, I, I did look that up. I, I guess you know what, one of the things that I always think of, and, and is a, I've always it's a big deal to me when I think of agriculture in general in the Midwest and just all over the United States. You know, we. I think it's important to keep in mind just what a what an incredible engine agriculture is when it comes to our economy. You know, we we spend, even though prices have gone up, inflation has hit. You know, we still spend less than 10% of our disposable income on food in this country, which means we have a lot of money left over to spend on crap we don't need. Which means a lot of people are able to get jobs making selling, packaging, transporting, servicing a lot of crap that we don't need. And and that is a huge economic engine. And and so a cheap, abundant, safe food supply goes much beyond agriculture. It it, it is the engine that drives this economy and, and it's uh, it's important to keep that in mind as we're telling our story and, and trying to support United States agriculture. Okay, thank you very much, Troy. Jill Brokaw, who is a farmer from uh, Joy, Illinois, and also uh, District 1 Director with the IPPA. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been a great day. Yeah, I hope uh, I hope you can take back some more knowledge and want to join us again. Yeah, yeah. Parting um, words, then. Yes, I will give a shameless plug as my parting words um, to endorse our current campaign with a partnership with the IHSA. Um, and so IHSA and Illinois Pork has teamed up again this year for the third time. So we are bringing back the pork and pig skins back for the for back for thirds in 2023. So it is a competition for the best pork dish served at a football game in the state of Illinois. So um, applications are currently still open and being taken at IHSA.org um, for people to sign up their school to participate. And then from there, they have online voting on September 14th and 15th, where they will crown a savory 16. So the top 16 schools will have um, judges that go around and vote, and then we will crown the winner um, in October. So and give a presentation of the coveted golden spatula at the state football game um, at the end of November. Nice. So um, like I said, they're still taking submissions for both schools and judges. So if you think you have the best palate for pork, you have an opportunity to be a judge as well. So. Okay, sounds good. Thank I you. love programs like that. That's awesome. Jill Brokaw with us, District 1 Director, IPPA. Brian Poston, Compere Financial Officer. Thanks for being here, Brian. Thanks for having me, Vanessa. I had a great, great time. Anything else you would like to add to today's subject matter? No, I would just add, uh, kind of follow along with some of these other people have said, you know, for the young people coming back, um, trying to grow, become a farmer or getting into the businesses, to be creative and finding opportunities. Um, it takes so much capital to get started on whatever aspect of agriculture you want to get into uh, that you're not going to be able to take a cookie-cutter approach. Um, what works for you might not work for another person. You know, maybe finding an off-farm job and might be partnering with someone on different pieces of equipment. It might be that I'm going to handle this 
this, these aspects of my operation, and Brendan's crew is going to take care of, you know, spraying and so forth. So uh, there's not a cookie-cutter approach to this. Um, be flexible, be creative, and try to find your opportunity. Okay, thank you, Brian Poston. Ken Quinn with us, Ag Lender, Midwest Bank. It's always nice to be here, Vanessa. Um, I guess my thought for young people trying to get back in, especially ones that don't have the, you know, the family that's already in it, you know, seek out a mentor. A mentor. Um, you know, I see a lot of times where um, some of the older farmers are wanting to get out of the business or retire, and maybe they don't have any children that want to come back. Seek out somebody like that, get in with them, and you know that's a good way to start partnering with them, and they can slowly get out, and maybe you can take over the ground for them or something like that. It's you know it's uh, a good way to get started that way, and uh, I guess I'd also like to throw out there for for as far as safety, um, this is that time of year when we probably see most of the injuries in agriculture. Everybody gets in a hurry. Uh, slow down, take a breath. It's you know, if something breaks, it's not the end of the world. Take your time. Uh, you know, going home without an arm or something at the end of the day isn't a good way to end, end, end the day for yourself. So. Okay. Thank you. That is Ken Quinn with us. Ken McMillan from the Warren Henderson Farm Bureau. Thank you for being here. Good to be here. I would just comment. Uh, I'm probably 40 years older that with one exception than anybody else on the Warren Henderson Farm Bureau board. If you look at that board, they are young farmers. Uh, Cassie is, is uh, one of the officers, and if you look around that table, it would be encouraging for people to see how active and how successful the young farmers are that are involved in Farm Bureau today. It's not the case in every county, but in Warren Henderson, the young farmers prevail. Yes, and award-winning uh, board as well. I mean, you got Cassie and Tyler Slish with their major award. You also have had past president Jerry Kunkel and his wife, Rachel. Uh, Justin Alleman and his wife recently awarded. So these are folks who do a lot of work, uh, not just here for our Farm Bureau, but for farmers in general. Thank you, Ken McMillan. Dwayne Bonifer, Mammoth College. One of the axioms of public relations is if you don't tell your story, someone else will. And we've heard that repeated several times here that, I think one of the most important things U.S. agriculture can do is tell its story. Uh, remember, repetition reinforces retention, so you can't tell it enough. There's an editorial writer at the New York Times who was asked by his boss to write about a topic, and he said, we wrote about that two weeks ago. And his boss says, well, how do you know people read it the first time? So how do you know people heard it the first time? And they can't hear it enough. And I think, you know, somebody's working at communications, that's one of the things that I learned is that Agriculture, as as strong as it is and as good as it is and as uh, uh, successful as it is, needs to do a better job always of uh, telling its story. And make shameless plug number two, um, you can hear a great story told Monday night at Monmouth College at 7 o'clock, the 7th Annual Wistful Robeson Lecture. Thanks to Monmouth alum Gene Robeson, we have Laura Lurkin from Lurkin Strategies coming in to talk about the future. Of agriculture, and if you didn't hear the interview this morning on WRM, you can hear the podcast. I know that's posted, and the Mammoth College podcast, Mammoth Conversations. An interview with her will be posted tomorrow by nine o'clock at mammothcollege.edu/news. So, uh, encourage the story to continue to be told creatively and in many different ways. Just realize we put all the three Mammoth College folks together. Wendell's yeah. a graduate, of yeah. course. 
Dwayne working yeah. and Ken retired. Yeah. So uh, that was a good move by Mike, our ops manager. Uh, Wendell, your final thoughts, sir? Uh, well, I'm sort of the unique one here. We're, I'm in the next generation transition. I'm bringing a, a granddaughter in to, to take over, and she'll probably be soon be ready to push me on out the door, but I'll hang around for a while. So I need to talk to Ken and, and Brian and, and uh, Troy and see if they, one of the things you need is to make this thing successful. We need a little more land than we got now. Uh, so what are the opportunities, gentlemen? <laughs> No, that's funny. Wendell, thanks for being here. I'll see you at the breakfast tomorrow. You bet. And finally, uh, Brendan Marshall, our partner, one of our partners today, our corporate partner uh, with Growmark FS. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Um, I really enjoyed it in the conversation. And, and for the young generation farmers, I mean, I've, I've been in this business for 34 years, and when I first came here to Warren County, everybody plowed. And then we got away from plows, and technology's changed a lot. And I think that there's a lot of exciting times that I'm going to miss out on because I'm not going to be here, but you're going to start seeing corn that's being raised every year at 300 bushel, 100 bushel beans coming in every year with, with hybrids that are changing and the varieties are changing. There's going to be a lot of exciting things coming, and I think uh, there's a lot of opportunities. Okay. Thanks for being here. All right. That was uh, number one of, num of two ag roundtables that we have for our celebration during Warren County Prime Beef Festival week. You can tune in tomorrow at uh, 10 to noon for the second FS. Ag Roundtable. Thanks to everybody for being here. Appreciate our team. Kelsey Crane is in-house here doing the producing. Mike Weaver and Sean Temple back at the studio. And uh, Kaylee Foster here on site for news uh, at WRAM. Our lunch today provided by the Patent Block Grill and Brew Pub. So long from the FS Ag Roundtable.